I am a lot excited, so that overwhelms any nervousness, but you would be able to help me much because of my, uh, my desire and my kind of my background in interactive teaching. If I ask a question, I am actually looking for an answer. They're rarely rhetorical. I am actually looking for some interaction. So it would be okay if you, if you shout it out. And if I get a big dry spot and nobody answers, I'll probably give it a little of this so you know I'm looking for some response. So again, it's a little bit different to me, so you'd help me out by doing that. For those of you at home, don't, don't yell back at the TV, okay? Just go ahead and relax. Um, another thing, um, I wanted to start by asking this. How many of you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture? Raise your hand. How many of you don't even know what sufficiency of Scripture is? And that's okay, too, because it's a lofty doctrinal term. We're going to talk about what it actually is today as well. But, you know, um, how many of you have experienced hardships in your life? Um, maybe some tough decisions, trials, tribulations. You've faced some problems, and you've needed to go to a brother or sister, and you've needed counsel, you've needed help, you've needed advice. How many of you? How many of you have been those people that maybe someone has come to and, and been asked to give advice, and you've given advice as well? Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I would raise both hands because I've been on both sides of that coin. That's part of not only the Christian life, but just life, that, that we don't have all the answers and we need to find them. So, you know, as we talk about that, you know, I would ask you this as well. What kind of counsel did you get? What kind of counsel did you give? I know that myself, uh, I've, been, I've been walking with the Lord for, for over 25 years. Before I was in ministry here at the church, I was uh, out in the public sector. And I think a lot of people came and asked my advice, not because I was so wise, but because I had a door on my office and they could close it. So, you know, a lot of people would come to me for advice. And as I look back at the type of advice that I gave, I realize now that a lot of what I offered to others, a lot of Christian people, was my opinion, or it was my interpretation of my own experience. Um, Sometimes it had some Bible involved, maybe some Bible sprinkled on, but oftentimes it was just nothing more than, than my own, just my own advice my own, something from me, what I thought was good advice at the time. Um, Another thing about that is that, you know, fortunately, it was probably right some of the time, like a broken clock, Andy, like a broken clock is right twice a day. Sometimes even bad advice, you know, or or unbiblical advice advice can be good advice. But we want something that's more we want something as God's people that's more reliable, something that's more... um, trustworthy. And that, that is the Word of God, the sufficiency of Scripture as we use it and applying it to our daily lives. The sufficiency of Scripture says that the Bible is complete and whole to do all the things that God wants us to do, all of the things that God requires. And so in that, we're going to look um, at, Psalm in a mo- at the Psalms in a moment, and we're going to look at what the Bible tells us the sufficiency of Scripture means, what the Bible is sufficient to do. Um, but before we go there, um, I'd like to open us in prayer. I'd like to pray for us. Um, Lord, my prayer for us this morning is, is that prayer of Paul's, straight from your word, Lord, where Paul asked and said, uh, Lord, may our love for you and for one another overflow more and more, that we will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Lord, I would ask that you help us to understand what really matters so that we can live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return, 
May we always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, Lord, the righteous character produced in our lives by you, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, for I know that this will bring you much glory, Lord, and great praise to your name. Lord, I ask that you would just open the eyes of our hearts right now, that we would see you and open our ears that we would hear from you. And I ask this, Lord, in your holy name, amen. All right, so let's turn together to Psalm 19. Uh, Psalm 19 is a wonderful psalm. David is praising the Lord for his two great gifts, two great gifts to humanity, um, the creation and his law. Both of them are revelatory. Both of them, God reveals himself to us, creation. Romans 1 does a great job of telling us about that. Here, um, David does the same in Psalm 19, 1 through 6, but we're going to focus on, on David's praise of the Lord and his explanation of God's specific or special revelation to his people through his word. So again, turn with me to Psalm 19. We're going to pick it up at verse 7 uh, if you have your scripture with you. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward." So um, we see some synonyms for Scripture, for the, for the word the Bible, for the, for the title of the Bible. We see some attributes of God's Word here, and we also see what God's Word is intended to do. So let's take a look at, at, these, uh, at these different elements as we see why, why Scripture is sufficient. And again, let me just emphasize this. When I say the sufficiency of Scripture... I'm talking not about this lofty doctrinal ideology, but I'm talking about how Scripture is meant to be applied and used in our daily lives, in the daily lives of God's people. So, it, you know, it, it's more than just um, sufficiency of Scripture as we're at church talking about the Bible. It's sufficiency of Scripture in our daily lives. So, again, let's, let's go to... Um, Psalms, and let's pick this apart a little bit. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It's perfect. It's whole. It's complete. It lacks nothing. It's sufficient to restore the soul, to transform it, to renew it, to restore the inner man, our real self. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's sure, it's trustworthy and reliable, and it makes wise the simple. Not, not the dumb or the foolish, but those of us that lack a proper understanding of God, of life, of others, even of ourselves. And that's all of us outside the Lord. We lack that understanding. We don't know. So God's Word makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord or the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts are the principles, the guidelines, the rules, the character and conduct of the Lord are right. They're correct. They're appropriate. And they are ordained because they're given by God. Um, and then what should we do because of them? Rejoice in our hearts. How many of you today would like to have a rejoicing heart? I know I would. 
I know I do. And God tells us, here's how we do it. Here's where we find the, the way to that. Here's how we find a way to, to have a rejoicing heart. Here in his word. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment. Here's an authoritative word. These are not just um, good ideas from God. These are mandates. These are instructions from the Lord. He's telling us exactly what he wants us to do. And because they come from the Lord, they're pure. They're pure. They're without flaw. This is a spiritual term here. They are... Um, They're pure, meaning that they have no evil or um, wrong intent. They only have God's best in mind. Um, And so they're pure. The things that God tells us to do are pure. And they open our eyes. They enlightened our darkened vision so that we see the things of God. They enlighten the eyes. Um, That's a beautiful analogy. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. God's word is uncontaminated. It's clean. And it's enduring. It's permanent. It's relevant. It is never outdated. And the beautiful thing about God's word is not only is it, un, is, is it unchanging, it doesn't ever need to be changed. It's enduring. It's forever. It's eternal. It's his eternal word. Um, and because of all this, it produces fear. Not the scared type of fear, but a wholesome, practical Um, positive reverence for God, the God of the universe, and that results in our worship of him. So the Bible is sufficient for all these things. Let's read on. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Here's a legal term, the rules or the judgments, the ordinances, the divine verdicts that come from the supreme judge, the supreme judge of the supreme court of the universe, God Almighty. Scripture, God's standard for judging the life and eternal destiny of every person. Um, And that's okay because it's true. It's righteous. It's good. It's just. It's fair. It comes from God. It's perfect. It's straight. It's true. Um, It's more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Now, other than maybe Solomon, who understood the value of much fine gold? More than King David, Israel's most illustrious king. He understood what it meant to have great, great wealth. And yet he says that God's word is more valuable than much fine gold. When we think about that for a moment, just check your heart for a moment. How valuable do you treat God's word? And I don't mean like sitting it on the floor or putting it in a place of reverence, but I mean how do you value it for what God intends us to do with it? How much time do you spend seeking God through his word? It would be a challenge for us all. I know it's a challenge for me. Um, a challenge for me personally, for sure. It's, much to be, it's more to be desired than much fine gold, and it's sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Scripture is sweeter. It's able to remove the sourness, the bitterness that comes from a sin-plagued life. If you're tired of being bitter, you're tired of being angry, tired of living a sour life, turn to God through his word. Sweeter than fine honey. And by the way, when he says it's sweeter than honey, we go, oh, honey, it's not even that sweet. Honey is the sweetest thing of the day. Think of your favorite dessert today. They didn't have Cheesecake Factory. They didn't have, um, you know, Godiva chocolates or any of those things. They had honey. That was a delicacy. It was something special to be, to be enjoyed. It was a special thing. So when he says it's sweeter than that, 
He places a high value on it, and certainly, why wouldn't he? When you look at what God's Word can do, it can sweeten our sour disposition. So moreover, by them, your servant is warned. Not warned like in a threatening manner, but warned like, like um, someone who loves someone says, hey, be careful. Hey, watch out. You know, it's, it's a warning. And then, and, and then in keeping them, there is great reward. So we're, we're warned as a point to, a, to protect us as opposed to a threat against the many dangers and disasters that are a result of biblical ignorance or disobedience. And by knowing and doing what God says in the Bible, we can find great spiritual reward, it tells us. I, I know I want that for my life. I want that. This is worth pursuing. So the, the Bible is sufficient for all these things, David tells us. And then he gets so excited, he concludes with a personal doxology. It's not up on the board here, but it's um, down at, at verse 14. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, let the things that I say and the things that are going on inside of me be acceptable in your sight. May they be pleasing to you, my Lord, my God, my rock, my redeemer. So, so in contrast, to the theories of men and to the things of this world, God's word is true. It's complete. It's comprehensive. It's comprehensible. And it's sufficient to live the abundant life. Brothers and sisters, we just need to study God's word and obey what it tells us. We don't need more stuff. We don't need more books. We need to be diligent in the study and application. We need to, as James says, to not just be hearers of the word, but what? Doers of the word. Good. I even got a good chuckle over there. I love it. All right. Let's look at another passage that talks about the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, we're going to turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. In 2 Timothy 3.16, a lot of times this verse is pulled up in doctrinal circles and theological circles and used to, um, to, to provide... Um, provide proof of the inerrancy of Scripture, meaning that God breathed it out, so there's no way that there's anything wrong with it. It is not inerrant. But um, I also believe that this passage talks about how God's Word is sufficient. Let's look at this together. And by the way, just so we know, so we have it in context here, um, Paul, old Pastor Paul, is talking to young Pastor Timothy here. He's talking about unity in the church, and then he... Um, uh, and I'm sorry, he's talking uh, about, you know, church life, about being, uh, encouraging him to be a worker approved by God. He's also talking about how there'll be godlessness in these final days and what it'll be like to be a pastor. Interestingly enough, these words still ring true today. Not much has changed in, in terms of godlessness. Um, but then he says, you know, Paul goes on to tell him that the word of God is profitable or is is um, accurate to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, verse 15. Then in 16, he goes on to say, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, and for righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, what exactly does that mean? What are all these is about? First of all, we have to look at this and see that this is not, um, that this is obviously different language than the salvation language of verse 15, where he says that the word of God is sufficient for saving. The information there can lead you to, into a right relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say it's also good for daily living. It is sufficient for our daily lives. And what does that look like? 
First of all, he starts off by saying, all Scripture is breathed out by God. When we hear the word breathed or breath, what do we think of? Breathing. Okay, what do we think about? Life. Thank you, Babs. Yeah, life. We think about life. Um, a body here on the stage and there's no breath, that's not, there's no life. So breath and life go together. So, you know, Paul is, is using this flowery term or this flowery language to tell us that the Scripture is breathed out by God. First of all, it's the life breath of God. Second of all, it's living. It's the living Word of God. We see that elsewhere in Scripture. Um, it, it's so much more than just the static content of a book on your nightstand. It's so much more than the static content of a book that you would read for entertainment purposes. It's the living Word of God. Um, let that soak in for a moment. The living Word of God. So the living Word of God. What is it good for? What is it, what is it useful for? What is the sufficiency? Well, first of all, it says it's profitable says that it's profitable. Um, I mean, when I, think of the, when I think of the word profit, um, I think of gain, that, you know, that there's something to be gained from it. We've profited from it. So there's something to be gained from the Word of God. Another translation is you're going to see that it says that it's useful, depending on which translation you're holding. It says that the Word of God is useful. So it, it's useful. It's, there's things to be gained from it. Um, it, again, it's not just useless information. This is a useful, a useful document that comes from God himself, and it's living. It's, it's applicable. It, it applies to us wherever we're at in life each and every day. How many of you have read a passage in Scripture that was important to you and meant something um, on one day, and later in life you went back and read it, and it spoke to you in an entirely different new way? Yeah, I know that many of us have, have seen God's living word do that. I mean, it's amazing. Well, it's profitable. It's usable. So what is it profitable and usable for? Well, first of all, it's profitable and usable for teaching, for educating us, making known to us what was previously unknown. You know, the prophet Isaiah says that, God's, that our ways are not God's ways. Tells us that clearly. And, you know, if you think about yourself for just a moment, Left to your natural self, how often are your ways really God's ways? I know on a personal level, that, that's not my go-to. I have to be renewing my mind with the Word of God frequently, or I will go back to, to my old Craig ways, the ways uh, that are, are not the ways of the Lord. Uh, my thoughts, uh, are, my ways are not your thoughts, are not your ways. We need the Bible to teach us God's ways and thoughts because... Um, as I mentioned, I've seen how my own opinions and my interpretation as experiences are by nature contrary to God's. So we need to be educated there. So the living word of God is useful or profitable for educating us. For what else? For reproof. Here's a word that we don't use much today. Reproof. Um, reproof, it's a, it's a legal term, actually. You know, Paul, he loves legal terms. That's, you know, when, when you study the Pauline writings, he loves legal terms. He's constantly coming up with courtroom lingo. And what this word, what the Greek word here means is to convince um, and to, to expose and to convince. Um, Paul's point here is that the word of God is sufficient for exposing the sin of our lives and convincing us or convicting us of, of its sinfulness, of its wrong. 
So now we have the, the, the Word of God is sufficient because it's breathed out by God. It's um, useful for teaching or for educating us and for convicting us of our sin. Praise God, He doesn't just leave us hanging there with conviction of our sin. But instead, it tells us, um, the Word says, uh, the Bible says that it is good for correction as well. So it's good for correction. So the Bible um, doesn't just leave us hanging and showing us our sin. It tells us how we can make that right, how we can get right with God, how we can get our lives right with others, how we can even get our, our lives right with ourselves. The Word of God, powerful, sufficient. And what else is it good for? It's good for training in righteousness. So once... Um, once we're back on track, once we've been educated, we've been reproved, we've been corrected, and we're back on track, now we get to where we can be moving forward. So God's Word is good for training in righteousness. Um, God's Word tells us how to grow in Christ-likeness. It tells us how we can grow in, in, um, in God's ultimate purpose for us. Well, what does Scripture tell us that God's perfect plan for all of us is? That we would grow to be like His Son, Christ. Um, that's the sanctification process that we become ultimately like Christ. When we go home to glory, when we go to be to heaven, or when we go into heaven, we'll be glorified, we'll be made perfectly like Christ. So in the meantime, our goal is, is sanctification, as we are moving forward in our growth in Christ-likeness. So that's, that's training in righteousness, you know, learning to walk with the Lord, walk in the Lord. That's God's ultimate goal for us, again, to grow in Christ-likeness. And then um, it goes on, it tells us, again, Scripture is breathed out by God. It's the living Word. It's useful for educating us, for correcting us. Or I'm sorry, for showing us our sin, correcting our sin, training us how to grow in Christ's likeness. For what? For what good end? For uh, our bragging rights? For our own good pleasure? No, it's so that we would be complete, equipped for every good work. That we would be um, com made complete or mature. The Word actually means in Greek, fully fitted for its intended purpose. So God's Word seeks to make us fully prepared and fully capable of doing the things that God calls us to do. Um, and, and then equips us. Every good work, um, everything that you need to do, um, everything that you need to do what God calls you to do, He promises that He'll give you if you seek Him. If, you, if you're willing to follow his word and follow his um, ways. So we have, you know, everything here. When I talk about sufficiency, the point of all this is, is that God's word is sufficient to do the things that God wants us to do. Um, it's also sufficient because we can't do the things that God wants us to do when we're a spiritual mess. So does God's Word give us everything we need to do to not be a spiritual mess as well? Yeah, it sure does. And that's kind of the, the, the backbone of what my heart is for, for today's message. And all of this about sufficiency of Scripture is where I started. And now I must honestly confess to you where God has convicted me this week, where I realized where my thoughts and my, my view of something was, was not actually God's. And it has to do with the church. It has to do with his church. Let's go to Ephesians 4 as we kind of 
um, wrap up our lesson in, in, in terms of what is the sufficiency of Scripture? What is the purpose for the sufficiency of Scripture? What is the purpose of God's Word for us in our lives? Um, here in this, in this letter, Paul is talking to um, the church at Ephesus, and he's talking about unity. He's talking about the church at Ephesus being unified and how that should look and how that can happen and why it's important. So we'll pick it up at verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him, or I'm sorry, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right, so that's kind of a a long passage, but um, I think that it's easy to to see Paul's main point there, that in the church life that, um, that the pastors and the elders of the church are the CEOs of the church and that everybody else is just here to serve the pastors um, of the church. Is that what you're seeing here? No, of course not. I'm just seeing if you're listening. No, that's of course not. Uh, look what he says. He says that, um, and first of all, let's look real quick. The apostles, if he's talking about apostles beyond the 12 apostles, um, he, he can't be. Those, the apostles, as Scripture refers to them, died with John. John on the Isle of Patmos was the last of the apostles. So he's not talking about apostles anymore. We're not talking about modern-day apostles, um, as, as we hear in some heretical um, teachings today. He's, if he's talking about prophets, he's talking about prophets who use the Word of God like I'm encouraging us all to do today. So it's not prophets that are breathing or speaking a new word of truth, not the prophets that we see in false teachings of today, um, we do have evangelists. So he's saying he gave evangelists, people that are gifted in, in um, sharing the good news of the gospel and, and helping lead others to the Lord. But he says he also gave shepherds and teachers, i.e. pastors and church leaders, to do what? To equip the saints. When he says equip the saints, now all of a sudden he goes on in a moment to say Christ is the head of the church. Here's where I, I realize where things have maybe been wrong in my thinking. And I think they may be thinking, uh, they may be wrong thinking in terms of the church as a whole today, at least westernized church, because we look at the church like it's a business organization. We look at the church and see the senior pastor, the associate pastors, the elders, the ministry leaders in the congregation. But what does this passage tell us? It tells us that Christ is the head of the church and the rest of us are the body. Some people have been designated to equip the saints for works of ministry. So it's not the pastors and the elders and the ministry leaders that are to be doing all the work in the church. The pastors, the elders, and the ministry leaders are to be equipping 
us, all of us, the saints. All of a sudden now you realize in reading this passage that Brent, that Nathan, that Craig, that Mike, the Jims, Rich, Ross, the elders, the ministry leaders of our church, they're the saints. We are all the saints. I need to be equipped. Brent needs to be equipped. Nathan needs to be equipped. The ministry leaders need to be equipped. You, the people of the church, we're all the saints together. There is no hierarchy in the church other than Christ is the head and the rest of us are the body. Horizontal this way. And so where we run into a real problem in church life is that we've decided that, you know, some people are more important than others. Some people have all the answers and the rest of us aren't capable of speaking the truth into the lives of others. The truth is, is that God has given you everything that he's given me. He's given me his word. He's given me his Holy Spirit. Is there anything more that we need to be able to minister to one another? Um, this is where I, I ended up this week. And I ended up this week at this place because I realized how we, we take the analogy when Jesus says that he's the, the healer, the great physician, and, and then we automatically describe the church as the hospital. Well, that's true in one sense, but I think that the church is less a hospital and more of a medical school where you've got a couple of doctors that are teaching all of you, the doctor, the nurses, the DOs, the, the other doctors, how to go and do medicine, per se, in this analogy. But rather, in this, you know, in this dichotomy, there's some that are given to help you learn, but to go do the ministry. Let's look at this passage again. It says, equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body, and then at the bottom, or, you know, at the end of this passage that we have here in 16, he says that we would make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body does the work. The body builds itself up in love. So just like in a medical school, in my medical school analogy, you know, if I needed open-heart surgery and I'm the chief surgeon of the school, I'm obviously not going to perform that surgery on myself. I need, I need some of you to come alongside. I need another surgeon to come administer to me. I need some of you to help that surgeon. The same is true in the life of the church. It is not Brent's responsibility it is all of our responsibility. It's our responsibility to be using Scripture because it's sufficient to minister to one another. Okay? Is that, re- is that resounding with you today? Amen? We, uh, because I think, uh, again, you know, in our, in our, uh, in our modern church life, we've, we've got a wrong perspective of what God desires for us all. See, the goal is not that the ministry happens within these four walls. What's supposed to happen within these four walls is that you, God's people, become equipped to go into the community, to go into the lost and dying dark world and be the light of Jesus Christ, to go out into the community and preach the gospel and make disciples. You are capable. You have everything that is needed. God's word is sufficient for you to use to go do these things. So when we gather together on a Sunday, it's for the equipping. You know, in God's dichotomy, for us, 
we are compartmentalizers. You know, men are always blamed for compartmentalizing, but ladies, you do it too. Okay? Just, please don't be offended. Okay, be offended. You do it too. You know, the truth is, is that we, we, we like to put aside, we like to say, well, that's, you know, Sunday morning etiquette. That's what we do at church. But, you know, and then this is what we do at home. And then this is what we do at work. And this is what we do when we're in, in this group. And this is what we do when we're with that group. God doesn't call us to that. He doesn't differentiate between all these different things. God talks to us about the Christian life, 24-7 living for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Yes, yeah, so, so we've got to get away from this idea that, that you know, that the church is, is this part of my life and the rest of it's another, but rather take a look at this and go, the, the, part, of, the part of my life that church is is where I go to get revived. It's where I go on Sunday morning to get encouraged, to hear from the Lord, to get equipped, to go out. And if you don't have the tools that you need when you get out there, you do have resources here. Call, make an appointment, come in. I will help you. Brent will help you. Nathan will help you. The elders of your church will help you use Scripture to fulfill your God-given duty. And that's to go out and minister to a lost and dying world. Um, how many of you are interested in something more like that? How many of you are tired of sitting on the bench and want to get in the game? All right. That's what I want, too. I want to see that. And for those of you who don't want to get in the game, I'm going to keep preaching until you want to get in the game. No, I'm not. I, want, I do want you to do this, though. If you don't have a desire to get in the game, I would ask you to pray about it. Because this is God's desire for you, that we would be living, living lives that are, are, are um, pleasing to Him. You know, I, I think, you know, when I, I think about that medical analogy about the church, I think about being sick and tired. I think about needing a doctor, and, and we do. We need the great physician, Jesus. But he doesn't reside within these walls. The great, the great physician, Jesus, goes with us and walks with us each and every step of the way. So he's there when we go to minister. He tells us that his Holy Spirit not only comforts us, but guides us as we get into those situations. So you know, don't, don't be afraid. Don't, get in, get, don't let yourself into the quandary. Uh, of saying, well, I need to know a little bit more first. I need to learn some more. Instead, go out and trust God to use you right where you're at. And if you run into a problem that, that, or something that you don't know how to handle, say, you know what? I don't know how to handle that, but I know someone who does. And then come and let us be a part of helping you fulfill what God has for you to do. You know, um, I had something that I wanted to read at the beginning and... Um, I was nervous and I forgot to read it, so I'm going to read it now. (laughs) Now that I'm relaxed, I'll read it. So how sufficient is our Scripture? Is it only sufficient for salvation? Well, we know now the answer is no. Or is it sufficient for sanctification? You know, growing in Christ-likeness. Yeah, yes, the answer is yes, it is. Um, Is it sufficient for living the abundant life that Christ speaks about in John 10.10. Brothers and sisters, is God's word sufficient for us to live the abundant life that he tells us about in John 10.10? Yes, yes it is. Um, Is it sufficient? Is it enough for our daily living? Of course it is. Does it speak to daily life? Does it speak to things like marriage, parenting, uh, other relationships? Does it speak to things about work? finances. Yes, it does. It may not tell you specifically, but the principles to, to honor God in all these areas of life are, are given here. They are found. Scripture is sufficient. Is it enough to address the problems of the day? 
Things like anger, anxiety, depression, marital crisis, suicidal thinking even, things of that nature. Is it sufficient? Is the Bible relevant? Is it sufficient? Is it enough for everything in this life? Brothers and sisters, it is sufficient. It is sufficient for all things. um, Let's close in prayer, and then I want to share something with you um, as we do. Lord, your word is truth. Your word is everlasting truth, Lord. Um, May we value your word more than any other earthly treasure, Lord. Father, show us how to use your word to minister to each other, to the body. And Lord, then how to use your word to go out and and to show a lost and dying world who our God really is and how powerful he is through his word. Lord, I pray too that, uh, that we would be spiritually healthy and available, that we would bring great glory to your name, um, that we would bring great glory to you, Lord, by building your kingdom and by being a part of, um, of you and uh, making you a part of our everyday life, not just uh, parts of our life, Lord. Father, thank you, too, for your word. Thank you that it is sufficient. And again, Lord, I pray that we would just do more than be hearers of your word, but, Lord, we would be doers. And help us as as leaders of the church, Lord, as those that um, have that task of equipping the saints, Lord, and and being equipped by the saints, Lord, that we would all take that diligently, um, take that take that uh, charge diligently, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters that are gathered here together today, that they too would take seriously your requirement on their life, that they would be a part of this church body by being uh, involved in equipping and ministering to one another. Lord, we ask this in your, your holy name, and we ask this in the name of your beautiful son, in your sweet name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, I don't want to just be that kind of guy that says, all right, here's all this stuff. I've heaped it on heavy. Now go figure it out. But what I'd like to do is offer this. Um, this summer, which is coming up, it's, it's the beginning of May in, in a week. So in June, I'm going to be starting a class. I'm going to be um, teaching on the right use of our sufficient scripture. Um, I, want, I want you to be able to help others face fear. I want you to be able to help others um, overcome anger. I want you to be able to help others make wise decisions, to have godly wisdom to offer from God's Word. I want you to be able to help others overcome depression, help others in their marital conflict, their parental conflict, um, help them even in their addictions. Lord, wants, the Lord wants you to be a part of that. We've seen that in his word today. So I'm offering you an opportunity to come. And maybe you've heard some buzzwords. There are things that you're struggling with. I would encourage you to come because the truth is, is God's word is powerful for us to overcome this. If I'm helping minister, if I'm helping you by ministering the word to you, all I'm doing is taking the word to you. You can take the word to yourself as well. So if you're struggling in any of those, those areas, I would encourage you to be planning on joining me this summer as we learn on these things. Um, let's stand together. I'd like to offer uh, a blessing. It's a scriptural blessing, but it's from my Lutheran roots. Um, Brent does this often too because it's such a part of how we grew up. But uh, I thank you all. I love you all, and I would love to see you growing in your use of Scripture to minister to one another. Um, And honestly, there's a little bit of self-serving in that because it makes my life easier. I can't meet with everybody, but together we can minister to one another. Amen? Amen? Amen. May the Lord bless and keep you.
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, and may he be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up your countenance upon your people. Show them how much you love them. Show them how mighty you are and how you want to work in and through them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go with God, brothers and sisters. You're dismissed.